The year was 2003. George Bush was in the Oval Office and I was in eighth grade. And on this day, I was getting ready for the eighth grade homecoming dance. I was nervous and scared. I practiced for weeks learning how to dance from my sister's boyfriend and wondering, would my date Amber like my moves? What topics of conversation can I go ahead and have in the back of my mind just in case it becomes dull and boring? We pull up to the middle school and in this long line of cars and my mom looks at me and she says, you forgot her corsage on the dining room table. And I said, oh, it'll be fine. Amber's cool. I'll let her know that I just forgot it and I'll bring it tomorrow at school. No big deal. I step out of the Mercury Mountaineer and I walk into the gym filled with all different weird decorations that have been used over the years. Lights flashing to the music and there she was, standing in a purple shimmery dress. I walk up to her and I smile and she looks down at my empty hands and she says, Where's my corsage? <laughs> and before I could explain that I left it on the dining room table, I will get it to you tomorrow, she begins to cry and yells at me and runs inside the bathroom and locks herself in it. <laughs> now, some of the youth and children, you might be asking, why didn't you just call your mom on your cell phone? We didn't have cell phones. <laughs> and the school office was closed. So I pulled up one of those hard plastic chairs, laid my head on the door, and pleaded the entire dance for her to forgive me. As the night went on, her friends would stop by to berate me and check in on her. <laughs> but then there I sat and the DJ, Coach Lowe, played Tom Jones is not unusual. And my signature dance was ready to go, even though my sister's boyfriend said, do not do the Carlton at all. <laughs> and so I hop on the dance floor and I get to swinging and a moving and a going. And it just happens that one of my swings is a little too much and it hits Nicole in the face and Nicole passes out on the ground. And I just thought by that time, I just need to turn it in and I'll just walk outside. Because actually, because of this error, the dance ended because the ambulance had to come. <laughs> this is all true story. Uh, and as I walk outside, I see Amber next to the vending machine and I walk close to her and she smiles at me. And she leans in and I begin to think, is this about to be my first kiss? Is it about to happen? And she goes past my lips to my ear and says, I will never forget this. <laughs> I'm still to this day afraid of her. Uh, <laughs> we are storytellers. 
That's what we do. We share narratives of our life, stories that have happened with us or stories of things that we know. We are storytellers. It's how we understand another's point of view. We understand who they are, how we create even perceptions about them. The things we choose to put in the story and things we even choose to leave out of the story. The way that our voices go high or low or even change when telling about different characters in our story. And the stories that we share in so many ways embody our own character and ethic that we have. Whether it is conscious or unconscious, when we tell stories, we share a piece of who we are. And it is through our stories, it is through understanding the character that we begin to see things from another point of view. We begin to vision and even see how someone might have been shaped by their experiences. Story is how we bond in community, how we relate to one another. It is how we actually learn, build, embrace, and even connect. Jesus is telling stories. Jesus is sitting on a boat while a community of people are coming and gathering around him. And yes, I know that we've heard over and over that parables are about worldly things that gets us to the eternal. And while that is true, when Jesus is telling a story, he is being almost as human as ever. Because that's what we do. He uses stories of everyday life that would not as be confusing to them as it is to us because of a different culture and a different society. And though the secrets of the kingdom of heaven is being woven through these stories, these people gather to listen, to learn, connect, and even get a glimpse of who Jesus is. This parable and its interpretation is sandwiched between the opposition of the gospel in Matthew. Chapter 11 and 12 share many stories of misunderstandings of who Jesus is and Jesus' ministry. Even chapter 13 ends with Jesus' hometown rejecting him and kicking him out. The place that should know him, the place that has helped raise him, the place that would understand his experience and who he is, sends him away. And so the story shared with us today, it's not unfamiliar to most. And it's seen not just in once, twice, three times in the synoptic gospels. Four, if you count the gospel of Thomas. I know some of you were really hoping that I would do a Commodore's reference in that. 
And it's as if Jesus is, this is Jesus' go-to story that he's at dinner parties and when it seems to get boring and nobody knows what to talk about, Jesus just steps in and says, hey, a sower went out to sow one day. A, a sower went out to sow. And the parable of the four soils, as it's also known, soils that are hard and shallow, thorny and good, serves as a reminder for the necessary conditions of fruitful discipleship. That as one becomes a disciple, as one shares and comes into the story of the gospel, that they must understand, attend properly, and persevere in the world. That they must understand understand what the gospel, the good news, the word, understand the story that is being shared is. For the gospel of Matthew, understanding is key because if you do not understand, you will not act. If you do not understand, then you cannot carry out the active ways of the gospel. So understanding opens the ground and it ties into the urgency of what is needing to happen. And it's only in Matthew's interpretation that he refers to the seed as good news, as gospel. Jesus uses his words carefully to sow into each listener a seed of faith, a seed of gospel, a seed of resurrection, a seed of hope, a seed of peace, a seed of justice, a seed of mercy, a seed of community. He uses his words to construct a story that includes each listener around, that his words are seeds that infiltrate the dirt, the crowd among him. And the thing is, daily you and I, we sow seeds, sow words that either create or diminish, produce or impede words matter as the gospel tell us, as the book of James reminds us, words that our tongue is sharp. And while the parable of the sower is about the seed, it is also about the soil. You and me. That as words are being spoken, as seeds are being implanted into us, how will they grow? There are about 7,000 languages throughout the world. They all have different sounds, different vocabularies, different structures. But how do they shape the way we think? That's the, the question cognitive scientist Lara Bordeski set out to answer. 
And she states that the beauty of linguistic diversity is that it reveals to us just how ingenious and flexible the brain is. That the brain has invented not one cognitive universe, but almost 7,000. And the study goes even further, and it points out that the language we speak and even the words that we use to describe something can change not just the world of vocabulary, but our reality right now. How we understand the way things are being said or used that in German language, when they explain what a bridge is, it's sturdy. But in Spain, when they explain what a bridge is, it's beautiful. Words change how we comprehend and understand our reality, our world. And so how we use words create a perception. How we use words, how words are sown and produced within each of us changes how we see the world around us and even the individuals in front of us. The words we speak become a persona in so many ways in who we are. And say it over and over, words have power. And we know this all too well because it is through words that God creates and bestows gifts to each living thing. And while some creatures are deemed swimming things and crawling things, and we as humans have been gifted as speaking things, and while most creation communicates in its own way, it is only humans that actually use words in the same way that our God did. And in the same way our words produce, construct, form, and they can also condemn. The seedlings of words shape and create us in our realities. And so as the reading we heard, what are the words that we hear? But also what are the words that we're speaking? And will these words create what is the kingdom of heaven, the state, the place where God's love and justice and mercy and hope and peace and community is surrounded within or will our words So hurt and pain and diminishment and another. What's the story we will weave together with our words? What's the story that we will share and tell of a gospel of good news or a gospel of pain, of hurt? We've all shared stories and we've all seen stories where it's been claimed as gospel and good news, but surely hasn't been it at all. My friends, 
We are storytellers. And this may sound like a lot to put on you. The way that the gospel is shared is depending on how we tell the story. Amen.